Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. book of Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive kingly power and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds and said to them, Trade with these till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent an emissary after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingly power, he commanded to these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by trading. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your pound has made ten pounds more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your pound, which I kept laid away in a napkin. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank? At my coming, I should have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the pound from him and give it to him who has the ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds. I tell you that to everyone who has will more be given. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Lord, Help us to understand what you're trying to tell us about our life today. Trade till I come. Trade till I come. Or perhaps it'd be just as well to say the man that the Lord Jesus keeps his eye on. Or the person that the Lord is watching. Now, beloved, as we think about the subject this morning that we have under consideration, let me do it this way. The Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples had just finished a tour, almost finished. And they were just about a day's travel from Jerusalem, uh, where that they were going to wind up and where it would be the end of their tour. And it was the most fantastic tour that the Lord Jesus Christ had ever been on. In fact, it stands out as the best tour that he made. Now he's coming to the place with his disciples uh, where they think because of what has taken place, it was such a fantastic thing. We remember this tour as the people that Jesus met. One was lame, you remember, and he was healed. 
We remember the old blind beggar beside the road. Now when he heard that the Lord Jesus Christ and his group was coming by, he cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Someone whispered to him, Shut up, it's the master coming by, don't disturb him. And the man cried out all the louder, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And the writer tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ turned aside and stopped and took care of the needs of this man. It is also the tour that the disciples tried to keep the Lord Jesus Christ from seeing the children. And you remember he buked them by saying, Let them come to me, for of such belongs the kingdom of God. We remember that salty old character that was saying at customs and taking taxes, and he must have been quite a character. And remember the Lord Jesus Christ talked to him, and he was a changed man. It was a time when people were saved, and uh, lives were changed, and people were made well, and excitement was running high, and, and the disciples were caught up in this in such a way that I am quite sure that every cell of their body was caught up in the great excitement of it because uh, they knew that the kingdom of God was at hand and that the kingdom that had been prophesied about in the, in the Old Testament, thinking about King David, uh, that it was ready to come into existence. Because all they had to do was go into Jerusalem and they were quite sure that this would be the time uh, that uh, the reign of God would come perfectly upon the face of the earth. And in this, it would be akin to heaven. And there would be no more sorrow or suffering. There would be no more temptation. There would be no more crying and weeping. And there would be uh, none of the, the things that go on in, in our society today. It would be literally the kingdom of God or heaven here upon the face of this earth. And they were quite sure that the struggle was over, that the trials had been finished. There would be no more heartache or hopes that had not been realized, that it was finished and over with. And they would be there to see it come upon the face of this earth. And it is at this moment that the Lord Jesus Christ tells the strangest parable that he ever told. I think there's only one other that comes close to it. But this one to me is the strangest one that Jesus ever told. I think mainly for two reasons. You remember just a little while before this, in fact, some of these people were living when this had taken place, the breakup of the Jewish Empire. And you remember the little country of Judah had been left to Archelaus. But he had to go away to see Caesar Augustus at Rome before he would, could really be installed as a true king. Now Jesus is talking about a historical fact in one part because these people knew exactly what he was talking about when he talk, talked about a nobleman or a king that had to go away to receive his power. It was such a humiliating thing for a Jewish person to do. And so they picked up here with this. They knew that this man was not liked, and yet he established himself as a king over Judah. The second part about this thing that makes it the strangest of all, really, is what is found in the teaching here. I have read this many times, as you have, and I could tell the story as you could tell the story without missing 
a part of it because it is that familiar to us. But I want to tell you, it was not until this last two weeks that I began to see what the Lord Jesus Christ was really talking about. And it comes out in this fashion. Notice the charge that the Lord Jesus Christ gave in this parable. Oh, it's no question about who the nobleman is. It's Christ. The charge that he gives. It is not one to take it easy until I get back, be at ease, find a comfortable place, uh, rest, uh, do whatever you want to do until I return. That's not it at all. The charge to them was, as he gave them what to, he had to give them, he said to them, now you trade until I come. You trade until I come. You know, I wish he hadn't said that. I wish he hadn't said that. It made it so much easier for me. Now to make it more pointed, let's go back to the 18th chapter and that 13th verse, and you will find the Lord Jesus Christ saying to those disciples, he says, I'm going to have to go into Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer everything that's been prophesied about the, uh, the Messiah, and I'm going to suffer through it, and it's going to happen to me, and I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to be abused, and I'm going to be crucified. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has already told them. Now, beloved, he is making us specifically clear. This falls immediately after he has made this talk to them. So there'll be no misunderstanding of what he's really talking about. You know, the desire of my heart is, I don't suppose it's too much different from any other heart, or if it's any different. Surprise me if it were. And I've talked enough of you to know that it is a desire of our heart at a deepest level to find a quiet place somewhere, to be finished with this business of rushing around in this bad society that we're caught up in, from going to sunup to sundown and into the night and fooling around with all these mechanical things that are supposed to save us uh, energy and but drive us nuts, to be away from the telephone and all the call and the clang of things, to... Uh, to be maybe by a little stream somewhere and have a nice little cottage or on a lake in a cabin somewhere and where we wake to the song of the birds and we smell the dew upon the meadow and the harshest thing that we hear is, is the lake gently patting the shoreline uh, to make sure that it is still there seemingly. And we, we long for that and and we desire that, and we think it would be a good thing. Oh, beloved, you wake to the, the shocking reality of what Jesus is calling for. And that's not what he said. And that's not what he's calling for. And he's not telling you to do that unless this is a misprint here within our scriptures and this got in here and really the Lord Jesus Christ didn't say it. But you know, I have a feeling that he did say it. And he jolts us back to the reality of life of telling us and commanding us, I command you to, to trade till I come again. You trade until I come again. Now let's look at it real carefully and sort of quickly. The spotlight is not on the Lord Jesus Christ or the nobleman or the king. Though this person is essential to the story, he is not the one that has been spotlighted here at all. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear within this parable uh, that you don't really own anything upon the face of this earth, that you are only a steward, and you are in the hand of a living God, and what you have belongs to him. I wonder if we really believe that. Every once in a while, 
I have an opportunity to go to a sale. The other day I didn't plan it, but going out to the road here past an old house, and they were having an auction sale. I stopped in for a few moments. Some things about it is exciting, and some things about it are real sad. I remember that some of you were there, didn't see you though, but if you were, you remember the time that the cherry bedroom suit was being sold. It was a beautiful old antique bedroom suit. And I didn't pay too much attention to the bidding, but the one thing that did captivate my mind is what the possibilities this represents. Perhaps if I'd have known this person that said he owned this bed a few weeks before he died, I'd ask him about it, he said, yes, it belongs to me. But you know, it really didn't belong to him. And when they were auctioned that off, I could hear over to the side and in the background there, one saying that they had ham sandwiches for sale for a dollar. You know, it's an interesting way the Lord deals with us in relation to our possessions. Two ways, mainly, but it's such a unique way. He'll either take your possession away from you some way, or he will take you away from your possession. Either way, it's very effective. And then who does it belong to? What servant, I thought in my mind, what steward will he try again with the things that are being purchased here that they think is going to belong to them? And one day again, it will be auctioned off. Do we really believe that we're only a steward? Wise is the man. Wise is the man that comes to the place in his life where he knows good and well that he is only a steward and what he has, though he may claim it to be his, he knows deep within his heart that it is not, that it really belongs to God, and he is only a servant being tried. The nobleman is not on the two faithful witnesses either. They are here in this story to accentuate something else. We know these people, they are tried and proven folk. Uh, they go by different names, but they're beautiful people, they're faithful, they're loyal, they're dedicated. I don't care if you put these people down in a desert somewhere, they would find the way to irrigate it and to make it blossom and bloom for the Lord. They would do something. Or you can take these same people and, and put them down in the wilderness somewhere and they will hack out a place for them to live and to make it more inviting and beautiful than when they went into it. We know these people. They're here. Uh, the hard times are good times. Make little difference to them. They do not get confused. They do not get sidetracked. They know who they are and what they are and know why they're here upon the face of this earth. And you can just count on them, their face, wherever you will find them. It's pointed in the direction of the master that they serve. Thank God for them. But these are not the ones that are really catching the spotlight in the parable that Jesus told. Strange, isn't it? But the one that is catching the spotlight and the Lord Jesus Christ turns up the lights on this man with x-ray vision. You can see every wrinkle and every part of this man's life. Well, I think I know that character because part of him lives within me. Yes, I, I look at him long enough, I begin to recognize him. I even know his name. It is the name that I know. He is the most interesting character, yet he is the most difficult person to understand. And he seems to be the most, the one that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most interested in. Look at it for what it is. This man has some good qualities about him. At least he's seemingly, the way that we think, he was better than seven others. Because seven of them doesn't even show up in the picture again at all. I don't know what happened to them or, or what Jesus did with them. But he doesn't even mention them. I guess they're just written off. Your guess is good as mine. Uh, but this other man, though, 
He had some good qualities. He he did uh, look after the the pound that had been given to him, or change that to the life. He had done something about his life. He had preserved it in some way. Now, isn't that interesting? The Lord Jesus Christ is seemingly not interested in you preserving your life. You see, this is the one that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot tolerate. Now, let's look at the full wrath as it falls upon this man. What did he do to deserve such a rough treatment? It's not what he did, but what he did not do. Now, this, I would guess, is a typical onlooker. Yes, I would say that's who he is, the typical onlooker. The person that cannot be involved in anything. Oh, he's always on the outer fringe. He likes for certain things to go on. He, he participates in it to some degree, but he can never come to the place where he can commit himself to something. You know, after reading the scripture, and you don't have to read it too long. If I were not committed to something, I would commit myself to something. I'd pick out the best thing that I could be committed to, whatever that might be, and I would commit myself to it. Because I would know full well that unless I do, that I would be the one character that the Lord Jesus Christ could not tolerate. Oh, you may be a good neighbor and a good friend, but when it comes down to this business of living, what have you committed your life to? He's not talking about a pound or money or possessions. He's talking about a life. What have you committed your soul to? If I had never signed the pledge card, knowing what I know about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was given an opportunity to sign a pledge card saying that I would do certain things for Christ, for his kingdom, for his church, and with his people, I would sign my name to it. This would at least separate me from the, the one that is an onlooker. I would sign up. Your life depends on it, beloved. Your soul depends on it. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying it in such a forceful way that we sometimes gasp at even thinking that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words. But he did. The onlooker. The fellow who cops out. For any reason. I do not care what it is. The person that is a fault finder. The person that gives and makes excuses for not doing what he ought to do. Now listen to this. You see full well that when this man returned, the nobleman returned, the king came back with all of his power that he went after. He had. And called them before him. And they began to make the report. And this guy says, look what this man accuses him of. He says, I know that you are a very severe man. That you take up what you didn't put down. Now he's accusing him of being a thief, you see. That you reap where you do not sow. Accusing him of being a thief. And it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't rebuke the man here because he didn't tell him, now I'm not a severe man. He didn't say that to him. He says, that's right. He says, in effect, he says, that's right. I am a severe man. But you are a fake because you really didn't believe what I was telling you. You really don't believe what you're saying. If you had really been frightened and scared of me, and if you'd really had to have known me to be a very severe man, I tell you what you would have done, the least thing you would have done, was to put my money in the bank. At least I would have had some interest on it when I returned. But you didn't do that. You, you just thought you could slide by. You thought you could hide behind someone else. You thought you could hide behind me. We lay it off to someone else. Oh, I can think of 10,000 reasons why, and I can lay it off so many people, why I should not fulfill my responsibility to God. 
You don't have any more than I have. And I can add a few to your life because I've thought of them a long time. But you know something down deep within the pit of my soul? I know that there's not another living soul that stands between me and the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody. Not a church. Not an individual. Not a group of people. If I vacate my position in the kingdom of God, it will be my personal relationship with God and no one else. And I am a fool and an idiot. And deceive myself if I think there's someone else involved in it. Well, amen, brother. That's good preaching. That's right. We know it to be a fact. I have a responsibility to God. He has given to me what little he has given to me and much. It doesn't make any difference. And he has asked me to express it in some way in a responsible position with him and for him. And beloved, that's the way that it is. Jesus Christ in this parable strips away every pretense, every false concept, and makes it dead sure that you stand before a living God. You are responsible for your relationship. No one else. No one else can either take from it or add to it in a way. It is a matter between you and your God. And you neglect this. And there's no hope. In closing, it would be better, I would guess, by noting that the other seven were not mentioned after that. It would be better for you. Realizing that you have life would be to fling it away and say to God straight out, Lord, I'll have nothing to do with it. I want no part of it. I will not use it or serve it in any way. Then for you to accept it and the responsibility for it and not do anything about it. You, the person, is the one that the Lord Jesus Christ has his eye on. You know that you have accepted life and you are living it today and the question or the charge to you is simply this. You trade until I come again. And beloved, he was talking to each one of us. You trade until I come again. Our Father in heaven, help us that we might be faithful to thee and to the kingdom, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.